Are you a HubSpot user looking to stay up to date with HubSpot inbound and all the information that will make your job easier and help you and your company grow better? Each week, the spot brings you the HubSpot education, ideas, and tools that you need to maximize your success, make work just a little bit easier, and of course, brighten your day along the way. Listen in as Julie, Doug, Max, and George share their authentic, entertaining, and valuable conversations with the people who really matter. That's right, you. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for your HubSpot journey heroes. Welcome to this week's episode of The Spot. Ready, spot, go. We're back with another episode of The Spot. And today, well, you know, honestly, as I start this, I realized last episode, it felt like a air quotes couch episode. I feel like Doug didn't want us to leave the couch. And so we're back again with what is going to be a very interesting conversation. Now, before we get into the deep end of the pool of what Doug has served up as an idea for today and an article in the show notes below, I did want to ask a question that is very just fun and high level before we dive into Whew, the conversation that is about to ensue. So, so hosts, uh, I am curious, what is your favorite all-time condiment? Like if, if it wasn't on the planet, Ketchup. you would not want to be here. Ketchup. Julie? Jujang. What is it? Go to Jujang. Okay. Mine, it's a so- fermented chili paste. I don't even know what I think it's kind of close to that. So I'm, I'm really big on breakfast sandwiches. Um, I love making and experimenting with different like breakfast sandwich stuff. And there's a sauce that I've kind of put together. Um, and it's like a spicy chili crisp maple aioli. So I don't know if anyone is a fan of spicy chili crisp here, but it's essentially chili oil with like garlic and peppers and like a bunch of other like stuff that's like fried up in these like little tiny crunchy bits and they soak it in this chili oil um that's not a condiment that's like a side hold it i turn it into a condiment let me finish so basically you take that you take mayo and you take maple syrup and you mix it up and it creates this like beautifully spicy and sweet sort of you can put the condiment on anything you can put on burgers you can put on whatever um, but it is just like my favorite, favorite condiment in the world. We'll, we'll find out if George proves my theory here. George, what's yours? So I, I feel inadequate right now, to be honest with you, because I didn't know that it was Chef Max. Like he's in the mm. kitchen, like working it up. Um, mine is Thousand Island. Like I love Thousand Island dressing on a lot of things that it doesn't belong. That That's is a condiment. Dressing. Listen, listen. Not all of us can be boring with ketchup. Ketchup, See, bro. I- I'm going to tell you, you know, see, we got marketing, we got web guy, video guy, we've got trainer, service guy. You guys are all complicated. You know, why can't we just keep things simple? I'm the sales guy. Keep things simple. I love ketchup. I have no problem with ketchup, (laughs) except that there are many things I don't like ketchup on. Like, you know where I want ketchup? Everything bagel. Eggs to use salt, pepper, ketchup. By the way, if so I eat pork, ketchup, it would be Taylor ham, but ketchup. if it wasn't ketchup, there wouldn't be Thousand Island. So, well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear it's, it's a cornerstone a condiment. It, it, it is a good base. And, and here's maybe where I have the problem with ketchup, okay? 
because when I was a kid, I was I was addicted to ketchup, like ketchup on my macaroni and cheese, ketchup on my pot roast, ketchup on my oh, like ketchup what, on macaroni and cheese. What, no, what, no question, one hundred percent. Yeah, like no. I, would, I, I would ketchup oh, yeah. everything. However, however, a few years back, I I lost my love for ketchup and and it being in different scenarios when my son took it to a whole new level, and I caught him dipping his Oreo cookies in ketchup and i was i'm like no. I, i'm i'm like i'm done i'm done i never want to eat ketchup <laughs> again i can't look at an oreo no, cookie the same way yeah that just like turned it. my stomach i love dipping dunk it. In ketchup that's that's my dunk it so he, he dunked it he, he, he dunked it. it he did he did all right so we got condiments that was fun and you can tell a lot about a person from their choice of condiments but Let's actually dive into the deep end of the pool. Uh, hold on, Doug. I just want to make one. I just want to say, hold uh, on, I just wanna say, if it takes you an hour and a half to make your condiment, it doesn't count as a condiment tax. That's all I'm saying. Mine comes in a tub. Eight seconds, Doug. Eight seconds. Mine comes to in do a this. tub. So, like, <laughs> here's here's what I'm gonna pick on Max. Max, I feel like you go through a lot of effort to get to like basically go to Jane. Well, what's go? What's in go? I, I have never heard of go to Are you trying to say go cheese? <laughs> No, gochujang. It's um, a Korean fermented condiment, mm -hmm. and it's like sweet and spicy and fermented, fermented. So it's but a does it have mayo in it? It doesn't have mayo in it, but it has put, mayo like, in it. put some mayo on your bread, put some gochujang on your bread, and call it a day. But then that's basically what I'm doing. Right, but yours is like tons of stuff. I, I'm yeah, I'm so I'm so frustrated. <laughs> I'm I'm so frustrated because I feel like Julie's condiment either is a set of directions, go to Jang, or like it should be like a movie or something, like in theaters near you, go to Jang. Like I, I, I'm so confused right now. Like I don't even get it's, this. What's well, Korean fermented like pepper chili paste? It is good. It's really good. Yeah. I put it in many things, including my Thai curry because I never have mm. like chili garlic sauce and stuff. I just, I use it in everything yeah. i mix it Ty with barbecue sauce and ketchup and we use mm -hmm. it for like a chicken nuggy dip mm -hmm. so, yeah. i'm familiar with the goku and ketchup it's so good yeah so good. I, I officially have to get this some is going well now <laughs> I, I, I officially have to get some of this so so let's dive in out of condiment by the way uh viewers listeners uh let us know what is your favorite condiment and why and if you too are a lover of goku jang did I say that right? I hope mm -hmm. I said that. And with that said, let's dive into the deep end of the pool where we're actually going to talk about um, and and kind of titled this keeping steady slash keeping some balance per se. And Doug, you uh, presented an article for us to read and look at. And the title of this, I'll be honest with you. At first, when I read the title, I'm like, what the what? Uh, so I'll just read the title and then I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to let you guys wax poetic on your thoughts on the conversation that ensued on this page of the Internet. But it's if you're so successful, why are you still working 70 hours a week? Big fat question mark. Uh, what say you, crew? I I have been. uh Historic. So I'm I'm very excited about this conversation because I've been historically historically terrible at finding good work life balance um i like it, it's hard for me to say like i think before 
I uh, was in the current role that I was in now. I very much equated to all the hours I was putting in to what like meant, I guess, success for me. Right. Like I was on the phone from nine in the morning, back to back all the way up until five, sometimes staying until six or seven, getting in early, trying to pack in as many phone calls as I possibly could. And like, for me, I guess that made me feel like I was doing a good job. Um, but I think also it came from like, a. I don't mean to get like, a, like, I don't know. I don't mean to do a lot of deep introspective here, but I think it also came from like a little bit of fear of confrontation, right? That if I wasn't like busting my butt 24 seven for my customers, I was like scared that they would know that like on the other end. And it would like kind of force me to work a little bit in an unhealthy way. Like I was the guy who didn't shut my email off when I went home. I was the guy who was like responding to customer emails when they would come in when I was off hours and like sacrificing time with my family. And I never really quite understood if it was because I thought I was working hard and doing a really good job or if I was just like scared of the consequences of not doing that. So like I... And by no means an expert in what it looks like to have good work-life balance or does hours equate to success. It is something that I'm really open about that I have been struggling with for a very long time. So I'm super I'm, excited to hear what you all say about this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to push the, the balance part um, to the side because I've got sure. a take on that. Uh, but I actually want to quote from the article. Mm -hmm. um, Today, many senior leaders work longer and harder than ever. At the heart of it is insecurity. And indeed, elite professional organizations deliberately set out to identify and recruit, quote, insecure overachievers. Insecure overachievers are exceptionally capable and fiercely ambitious, yet are driven by a profound sense of their own inadequacy. Um, so kind of what you hit on there, I would say to be more direct, it wasn't driven by fear so much as by insecurity. Uh-oh, will they think that I'm enough? And I will highlight my favorite example of um, the insecure overachiever. And his name is Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen was famous for four hours, four and a half hours, five hours shows. I mean, he would, he was his own, I mean, if you go back to the day, you know, the 1980s when he was at his peak, peak in terms of popularity, you went to a, you went to a Springsteen concert. He played 90 minutes to open, took an intermission and then came back and played another three, three and a half hours. Like to the point, I remember being at one show in 1984 on his Born in the USA tour where I was like, okay, I can't take any more songs. This thing has to end soon because I was exhausted. Well, it, it, it's come out. Um, and if anybody has read um, his autobiography is, is a must read, whether you like him or not, it's just, an, I mean, it, it, it's flat out amazing. Well, he dealt with major depression. He's bipolar. He dealt with major depression. And what you heard was, and what he talked about was he was scared. Like his show wasn't scheduled to go as long as it was supposed to go, but he was afraid that, well, what if I wasn't good enough today? What if it wasn't enough today? What if someone didn't like it today? And so he would play one more and one more and one more. And by the way, he was legendary. You know, his band learned that whatever the, the, the plan was for the show, it was going to get adjusted. And it was driven by major, major insecurity, right? So, so that, that aspect is, is a pretty common thing. And I think it's heightened in the U.S., uh, you know, like Max, I'd be curious if you guys see this with your uh, international divisions. You get to work with people internationally more than I do. 
but like there's this aspect where we wear the number of hours as a badge of honor, right? I remember when I first got into business, it was you got to show up before your boss and make sure, you know, you got to be the first one in and the last one out. This is probably about 15 years ago that I, that I began to really realize this. Busyness is the new laziness, right? We, we make ourselves so busy and we talk about hours and putting the hours and putting the hours and putting in the hours um, that, that, that we forget you know, we only have a certain number of, of productive hours. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of elements that I'm sure we'll get into that I think are, are, are important to be able to balance that out. Um, the last thing I'll say on balance is balance itself is a myth. And I don't think you should strive for balance. As a matter of fact, the, the term that I, be, that I saw somewhere that I become a fan of is work-life integration. When my kids were growing up, I was very active, but by no means did I feel like I had to be at every game. Um, and as a matter of fact, I wanted my kids to even see that there were times where business, because that's a key part of what I do. That's a key part of my identity. I care about what I'm doing. And you know what, son? Sometimes business is going to be more important than what's going on with you. And sometimes what's going on with you is going to be more important with business. And it's about, uh, you know, it, it's about integration. Um, and I think they both connect to, um, and again, I think we'll talk about this later, the ability to keep your own score. And, and I'll save that piece for later to let others comment on just kind of the, the concept. I mean, I feel like I don't need to be here and say anything now, Doug, because I'm very much on the same page with that, um, especially work-life integration. It's a, it's a concept I had talked a lot with about um, a former, with a former boss of mine, um, where, you know, on the agency side of things, like burnout is real right? Your job often feels like to control the uncontrollable coming at you from all angles and still try to be successful in that can be really hard. Um, a lot of agencies staff and resource to get the most volume out of people for the lowest cost and the fewest number of people, which means workloads can be really high. Workloads at agencies can also ebb and flow. Um, and for someone who isn't able to like set a boundary or walk away, you get six months, you can burn out in six months um, often. Uh, so we would talk about work-life integration and this concept of like, sometimes you're going to have weeks where 40 hours isn't going to cut it. You will have more that you need or want to do. But when you're thinking about integrating, it's less about I work nine to five and walk away and that's work-life balance. Um, and more about I'm going to work from nine to three and then take some time and like pick my kids up from school and do this and do that. And then they have bedtime and I'm going to do bedtime and do these other things. And maybe at some other point you are going to put in the rest of that time and you're just going to fit those pieces together. Um, and I think a lot of the, the friction around work from home that we've all felt in the last year is that that's new to people um, and it's new to employers, right? If, if you're a physical business and you expect people to come into an office and sit there with you, you are expecting to see them for a certain amount of time. So everything becomes time-based. The time you spend, the time you spend, the time you spend. All of a sudden, when you don't see people in person, you have to shift to being outcome-based. And that's a big jump, um, right? Like I don't care if my team is at their computer from 8.30 to 5.30. I truly, truly, truly do not care. I care 
if our clients' projects are running on schedule. I care if my team is finding the time to read new things and learn new things. I care if we are pushing the envelope and trying new things. I care if, if someone is away from their computer in the middle of the day and they're not at their desk, I can hop in and answer a client question that might come up. And that means they have to be organized and things like that, right? I care about those outcomes and I care about that piece of it. I don't care if they do it at seven in the morning or seven at night. So I'm, 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 I want to hit on a couple of points, much of which I agree with a couple of things I, I, I disagree with. Um, so the first thing is, I think there's a difference between burnout and exhaustion. Um, I think if you're overworked, and that's certainly a problem for a lot of people, you, you, you hit the point of exhaustion, um, which is a different thing and can be, uh, you know, in, insanely unhealthy. Um, burnout, I think, is often misunderstood, and I come to define burnout as when the obligation is greater than the commitment that's when you're going to suffer burnout because you're doing things that really don't mean much to you and, and you're doing because you have to rather than that you get to. And, and, and one of the reasons that I say that is you'll see somebody who will work eight hours and be burnt out, quote unquote, versus someone who worked, you know, that same person could be doing something else at, at a higher intensity for a longer period of time. They don't burn out. Um, and, and what you see there is, again, that, that what the obligation versus the commitment. I'd, I'd also say that I think that what, what it gets down to here, we've looked at the world as an hours-based system, and we do that for one reason, and it's all because of the industrial age, right? The industrial age where, where workers were put online to produce, you know, there, there was a very specific output. One hour of work meant you were going to hit this button or you were going to do this rinse and repeat process X number of times, which would produce Y number of outputs. And so we began to define things by hours, right? And by the way, why is the, why is the workday eight hours? Anybody know? Oh, I, used to, I used to know the attribution for this. It's not in my brain anymore. I hate that you've read every book and remember everything. Three, three Makes shifts. me crazy. Three shifts. Mm. It's for three shifts. Right. If, if, if it took us 27 hours to rotate around the sun, it, a workday would probably be nine hours. Right. I mean, there's, you know, it, it, it's a very artificial um, element that, 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 that got put in there. I, I think where the issue comes, because it is all about energy, is I think creatives have a bigger problem. Right. Because how do you judge your productivity as a creative? Because I'll tell you, my best ideas take seconds. And the better I am at something, the faster it happens, right? When, I, when I'm in, in a sales situation, when someone says, well, we'd rather charge by the hour, my response is, that's fine with me. I'm happy to work slower for you, right? Would, would, would you like me to solve the problem really fast with something that I know really well? Or would you like me to, right, you, you guys kind of get what I'm saying. So I, I think it's a really hard thing. And, and you have that element. So here's what I want to ask you. And I know, I know you've been working remote for a long time, Julie. Because you said when we were on site, it was about this. And then when we went to off site, we went to remote, we had to go from being there to output. And I know yeah. everyone says that. But then what you described as what matters, that's what mattered when you were on, when you were, if people were on premises as well. So it wasn't in my experience. In my experience. Well, it might not be. Okay, go on. I, I worked. Um, so I've worked full-time 
in an office. I've worked hybrid, uh, like a couple of days here and there. And then I worked full remote. Um, when I worked in an office, it was very much the culture of 15 minutes late. When <laughs> I was hybrid, it was very much the culture of, um, so I also had adjusted hours cause I had a super commute. Um, and it was like, I work in the office from 7.30. I have to be in the office at 7.30 and I can leave at four, um, which doesn't save you any time in your commute, by the way. Um, but like watch around those hours, punch in, punch out type of stuff. No, no, I get that. What, what, what I meant is that in terms of what leads to success, like, like the fact that someone showed up from 7.30 to four, right? Whether they were successful or not was, was going to be driven more by the outputs of what they did than them just being there from 7.30 to four. I, I think, again, why do we measure hours so much? A, we wear it as a badge of honor. B, it's a very, very easy measurement. But, but if you look at the contributors to success, it, it's the outputs that matter, isn't it? It should matter. No, no, I'm saying, I'm saying whether matter. that's what's judged or not. I'm saying if you look at the contributors to an organization, to someone being successful, it's no different whether they're in reality, yes. Okay, right. Right, like in a perfect world, whether you do it in an office or you do it at home or you do it on a beach in Florida, I don't care. I think the reality is a little bit different. I think the reality is if you had three people doing similar jobs and one of them did it right in front of you in an office, one of them did it from home, one of them did it from a beach in Florida, and their outputs were similar, their experience was similar, et cetera, and you like gun to your head, the CEO, who do you need to promote tomorrow? Maybe the person he sees every day. Mm. Mm. Well, that's, see, see that, but that's a different, that's a different thing. That's a different bias. And that's a familiarity bias, right? That is, you know, that which we are closest to, that's which we, with what that we see most often, we have a natural tendency to favor, right? Yeah. That's, that, that, that's a tribe aspect, but that's not, that's not just because so-and-so worked more hours and was on site. Like th those are two different elements. Could be, could be that the person in the office was more familiar and quote unquote worked more because of it. Like perception, I think from perception can very much be reality. Um, and sure. while for the greater good of an organization, maybe the output is what matters for those individuals in their roles, that perception can change your career trajectory. So, so I want to ask you guys about what I thought was the most interesting element of, of, this, um, of this article. Businesses, as part of their recruiting strategy, specifically seek out, they don't write, they don't put this in writing, specifically seek out ambitious and insecure overachievers. They're looking for that insecurity. And like when you get to the element of um, like the workload on you, what, one of the things that I see that's forcing people at, in remote and non-remote places to, to work an unfair number of hours, that we, we're unfair to the work. We, we, are, we are extracting value from people taking advantage of that desire to overachieve and their insecurity. So we have a workload and the, the economics that we've built don't enable our team to get their job done in, in reasonable 
um, in reasonable efforts. And so we take advantage of that and we build in all kinds of systematic structures to, to expand that, that, um, that insecurity, um, these comparison numbers. You know, George, you were saying, wait a second, I feel like maybe there's something wrong because I was looking at a con, you know, you know, you, as, as our two friends here got more and more complex with their condiments. Like we're kind of taught that goes, well, wait a second, wait, wait, maybe there's something, you know, maybe there's something wrong with me. Uh, you know, and in the same way that I would say that Uber's entire business model is based on extracting um, capital from their workers, right? I think it's a totally unfair business model. We, it, it's easy to point that out in, 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 in the Uber, but I think that's becoming something that's actually being built in standard um, in, 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 in work, which is putting more pressure on people. And, and that's why we're seeing greater levels of dissatisfaction, higher levels of suicide. George, you said we're going on the, on the couch. So I thought I'd go all the way there. What do you guys think about that? Do you, do you think businesses are, are like, do you think this is a bug or do you think this is a feature for most businesses? So you mean seeking out people with insecurity? Oh, go ahead, George. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Max. Taking advantage of insecure overachievers and, and, and putting artificial expectations that, 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 you know, in essence, you can't meet the expectations. So you're always in that place where you're, where you're behind, you're behind, you're behind. So there are two con like pieces of context that I think are really important for bug versus feature on this. Um, the first one is the quote earlier in the article from an HR director from a leading accounting firm. And the second is the phrase that comes directly before this elite professional organization. I think this is a feature for elite professional organizations. I'm thinking like big four accounting firms. Uh, I'm thinking organizations and firms where the expectation is a 60 hour work week is the norm. Um, I think that's a feature. I think you hire for people who are going to feel inadequate and are going to push themselves to do that because that is understood to be the minimum. I think for some other organizations, it might be a bug. I read that and I said, have I ever done this? And I said, yeah, I've probably done this. I didn't do it intentionally. I never said, I want someone who's less confident or more insecure because I think they'll work harder. But I have certainly hired for, I want someone who isn't satisfied unless they're giving their best I'll or feels you like they're I'll the best. I'll show you how you're doing it. I'll show you how you're doing it. Do you hire for grit? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, Some we roles. hire for grit. That, that, that's yeah. the criteria that we look for. Do we hire for perseverance? Yeah, we do. You know what that you know what that's code word for? Insecure overachiever. Yeah, this is like super interesting because like I, I'm a firm believer that like insecurity drives so many other things, right? Like um I think the 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 way you are as a person is greatly influenced in the way that you deal with insecurity. And if you didn't have a little bit of insecurity, then like what's really kind of driving you to be better or figure certain things out, right? Like, you know, if someone has a lot of deep insecurities, I think it can lead to them doing a lot of very negative things. I also think it can lead to them doing very positive things. It's all in the way that you address that insecurity, right? So like, while I'm, while I'm sure there are organizations out there with recruiting teams inside of them where it's like, they're specifically saying, Hey, here's how you spot an, an insecure overachiever, right? And we're looking for that. 
I'm sure there's also plenty of other organizations. And again, I know nothing about recruiting. So like, I'm just speculating here. Um, I'm sure there's also plenty of other organizations that are, you know, looking for qualities that are shown because someone is an insecure overachiever, right? Um, versus like specifically calling it out like that. And maybe they don't know it yet, but think, maybe those are also the just point. the positive attributes. I'm probably missing the point, right? No, no, no. I think <laughs> because, the, the, the point that I'm making ahead. is I'm saying, I'm saying that this is systemic, right? I'm saying that, that, that if, if you take, and, and, and Julie, you hit on this and we, I see this in agencies and I see this in businesses all the time. Take a look at the amount of revenue that a company wants to produce. Look at their sales team. Can that sales team produce the revenue? No, they can't. Take a look at the revenue someone wants to grow. Do they have the lead volume coming in? Are they willing to put forth the resources to generate the lead volume coming in? All too often, the answer is no, right? If you're not willing to invest in the resources, like a farmer many, many years ago knew that if you're not going to plant the crop and you're not going to take care of the land and give the crop time, like no, no farmer, no good farmer plants corn today and then says, where's my crop? Where's my yield tomorrow? But, but how many businesses do that to their sales team? How many businesses start up an organization and say, okay, where's, where's their results in 60 or 90 days? Well, your sales cycle is a year and a half. I, I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Right? I'm saying, so, so like, we're not, we're not looking at the economic model. We're not building that in. And yeah, you know, in, a humans are naturally insecure, right? That which is overall a good thing in the sense that 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 does lead to motivation. But but what I'm saying is, as as the barriers have gone away, and I think the biggest issue about remote is we lost our comparison group. I think the reason that everyone is working so damn hard and so damn long. I remember when I was at Merrill Lynch, every day if I had a good day, there was someone else having a better day that would motivate me. Now, now, maybe that was the one person's best day, but it was like, hey, I can still do better. Even more important, when I had a bad day, there was always somebody that was having a worse day. When I started working on my own again, all of a sudden, I had no one to compare to. And I always expected more from me than what was possible. And so I couldn't judge it. And I got to the point where actually, I got, like, I froze. I lost all confidence. I could not make a decision because I thought everything that I was doing was wrong. And I was like, whoa, wait a, I, I almost freaked my wife out my wife out because I was like, well, what if no one ever buys from me again? What if no one ever buys? And, and she, she told me later, she said, had I been anything less than that, she probably would have been worried. But she was like, okay, if he's saying no one's going to buy from him ever, you know, he's probably overshot that, right? So, so what, I, what I'm saying is I'm not saying that, that every business, especially small, medium businesses are, are necessarily doing that with clear intent and purpose. But I'm saying the systematic, you know, the terms that we use, grit, perseverance, hard worker, what's your work ethic? Why have you had five jobs in the last 10 years? Right? We, we, we look at all those things and we make it on them, right? As opposed to, you know what our job as, as an organization that's trying to grow value, our job is to create an environment where you can be successful, right? Our job is to manage those resources and to be reasonable. And I think that's why we, A, as, as leaders, we need to tell our people. And really interesting stuff, when Netflix went, went on to the no vacation policy, one of the elements was you, the leaders, you must take vacation. And not only must you take vacation, you must take big, long vacations. And you must talk about it so that you're role modeling that, hey, my boss takes vacations, so I should take vacations. 
again, not enough to take it. You have to talk about it. You have to be the one to look and say, hey, you need to go take time off. How many times do we as a leader, and I know this is a bad group because we're like, you know, but how many, how many people look at somebody and say, hey, you know what? Put, put it down, take the day, take the weekend, let it chill, all things will pass. I, I have somebody who's in San Antonio right now. She hasn't had electricity for four days. She went to her father-in-law. So she didn't have electricity for two days. Went to her father-in-law's because it had electricity, but didn't have water. This is the fifth day. There's now electricity and some water. And she's like, yeah, but I got to get this done. And, 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 and it's like, hey, Jess, chill, relax. It's fine. Whatever. And the other thing I had to do is I said to Jess, I'm like, Jess, what else is going on? What do you need us to pick up for you? If we're not doing those things, if we're not creating that, and then individually, the, I think the reason that planning your day is important or, or maybe planning your week, not, not planning it from an every hour field per se, but go into the week and say, what do I want to accomplish today? Because I'll tell you yesterday, 3.30 hit, I was exhausted and I had the, okay, but I got to work. And I looked, I said, no, I got, I, I hit all the things. I'm there. I'm exhausted. Like anything I do right now is going to be a waste. Anyhow, hey, you know what? Time for me to walk away and go do something else. Um, and, and, and I think those are the elements that are crucially important so that you can judge. Did Like I, I measure myself at the end of every day, I have a win the day and I give myself a zero, a 0.5 or a one. And I look back and I say, did I do what I could do today? And, and that means when I have a shitty day and I'm just not feeling well or whatever, and I don't get a lot done, I'm like, well, did I get done what I could get done today? Like, was, so, so I, I might have one day that I'm 0.5 where I got far more done than another day where I had a one, but kind of my condition going into that day where I gave myself a one versus the 0.5 was much less. And I, and I think if we begin to look at it and we think about it from, from like we create our own scoring mechanism, that enables us to be more true to ourselves to develop our score rather than being influenced by everybody else's score. Or um, actually, think, it's not even everyone else's score. It's our perception. Sorry. It's our perception of their score. Right. And when we look at overachievers, they almost always feel like they're doing worse than the person that they report to or the person that judges them feels like they're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so our interpretation of is what is what gets us in trouble. I think as a, as a leader, Doug, my, my goal is to hire people who care so much about their work that they're on day five without water and at someone else's house because of power and all of those things. Um, you know, that's the person I want on my team. But the other side of my goal and responsibility as a leader is to make sure I'm able to say to that person, go away, mm -hmm. go deal with your life because we've got this. So I think, you know, if you have one Jess and she's on an island and she doesn't have a team supporting her, she can't be successful. So my goal is very much, I always say this, my goal is to make sure everyone has what they need to be successful. And sometimes that's a little bit of tough love. Sometimes that's, hey, you know what? Just take the day off. Sometimes yeah. that's, hey, you know what? I, I paid for this book for you. I think you need to read this. Like it can be little to big to, to everything in between, but um, that's what we have to do. We, that's what we need to focus on. If I'm focusing on, I need to just hire people who work hard all the time and this and that, I'm going to have people that stay for 18 months and then leave. That you to me is my failure in my role. 
in a small business, I think it's worse than that. I think you're going to have people who stay for 10 years, but left nine years ago. Mm. Right, because, because it actually becomes a very codependent, almost like I've, I've seen it again and again and again. And, and I know like there's somebody listening to this who's like, well, that would be great, but, but I need this job, right? And they're, they're in a place where they're not allowed for that. And, I, and I, I've seen it, it's like you're in an abusive relationship, yeah. right? And, and as, as logical as it is to say you should leave, it's really hard when you're in that, where, where, when you're in that vicious cycle of, well, we need more. Oh my gosh, I'm not enough. I'm trying to, you know, I have to remind myself sometimes because I always think I'm the problem because, hey, I was told you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. So, right. And, and I've had like one of the lessons I've had to learn as a leader is, you know what, sometimes they're the ones that need to change because I would literally stick with people who weren't the right people going, wait. I've got to, I've got to figure this out. I've got to figure this out. Cause it's me. It's me, you know, the rugged individualist that we are, you know, that, that we prize so heavily, like Elon Musk. Well, well, guess what? Elon Musk is brilliant, but, but how many hundreds of people did the work that enabled Elon Musk to be Elon Musk. Right. And, 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 and we forget those things because um, we have this rugged individualist picture of what success is supposed to look like. George, you want to bring us home on this one? So I've been really quiet, really, really quiet during this episode and, and just trying to listen. And there's a couple things that I'm going to throw out there. First of all, I don't think that all overachievers are insecure. And I don't think that you need to be insecure to be an overachiever. And the fact that that's how they position this article, I really frustrate with that. Now, I'll explain why I frustrate with that, because I've rode both sides of this fence. All right. Early in my career, was I insecure? Absolutely. I'm a freaking high school dropout. I do not deserve to be where I am. So I, I don't deserve to be where I'm at in my mind, in the early part of my career. It was insecurity and I did work a lot. As a matter of fact, I was working like 70 hours a week and it ended up putting me in the hospital for three and a half days where they had to figure out how to get my blood pressure down from 240 over 180 to something that wouldn't actually kill me. So I've been on that side of it. But there's a whole other part of this that we have not done justice in painting the picture of what if you uh, change your relationship with a couple key terms that we're talking about, like work. For instance, what if I don't go to work? What if I go to play? What if I actually enjoy what I'm doing so much that because of the integrated life that I have and the understanding of how I bring my family along for the ride, that it doesn't matter if it's 40, 50, 60, 70 hours because I'm not doing it by myself, but I'm doing it as a family. Let me explain. Inbound. I have brought my family to Inbound where I spoke and spent a lot of time walking around and they got to enjoy that time. In a couple of weeks, believe it or not, there's an event. We're going to an event. We're going to a hotel. Family's going. We're going to be doing things, right? But it's, it's things like this that if you integrate and the perception that you have that it's actually I go to play, I don't go to work. Um, it is freeing yourself from this imposter syndrome that we all fight with. It is freeing yourself from what you believe is the standard that you have to uphold to others versus upholding to yourself. It is planning out the goals, the habits that you have every single day to keep you in line with what you're trying to do. And it's the understanding that no matter how damn hard you try, you're never going to be perfect. But, but that you are enough. 
You are enough. No matter what anybody has ever told you in your life, you are enough and you can change and you can make the world whatever you want it to be. So as you read this article and as you think about what's being painted here, I want you to realize there is a total different destination because what, what I sat back and listened to, hang on, what I sat back and listened to was a mixture of the original conversation and in line with that, y'all had a great conversation on how to be good leaders because you pivoted and started talking about, well, how can I be a good leader? And what I'm saying is everybody listening to this should realize that you're your own leader, that you have to have owner mentality of yourself that you have to have owner mentality of the work that you're getting paid to do for somebody else. And if you, if you approach your life in that way, like I own my shit and I love what I'm doing, you may disconnect with a lot of what we've talked about today. Yeah, go ahead, Doug. So, so the first thing I'm going to say is the, the article in no way said that, that if you're an overachiever, you're only an overachiever because you're insecure. Like that, that, that is not the thesis of the article. That's not the thesis of, of what they're saying. Um, I, you know, insecurity is a natural element of, of, of humanity. It's, it's just the way we're built. Um, and actually, my big, the thing that made me comfortable with imposter is it, syndrome though? is when I realized. Is it, though? Yeah. Does it yeah. have to be? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Yes, George. Yeah. Why? George, I think in saying someone has insecurity isn't a judgment about them as a person. It's not a judgment. It's just a part of something. So my, several years ago, I think everyone should go to therapy, but therapy is great. It's awesome. You get to sit there for an hour and talk about yourself. Love therapy. It's, it's the greatest thing. Here um, for and, it. I had a th and, I, and I came in and my, I came in and I said, I'm stressed. And he said, good. I'm like, what, what do you mean good? He said, the problem isn't stress. Matter of fact, what he said is there's only one type of person that doesn't have any stress. Do you know where we put those people? Six feet under. Right? The problem isn't stress. The problem is distress. Right? It's the rubber band. If the rubber band doesn't have any tension, then it has no energy. The challenge is where, how do you stretch that rubber band so it maintains tension, but you don't break that tension? That, that's what insecurity is. That's the, the desire for more. Insecurity doesn't have to be I'm, I'm bad. Now, again, the manifestation of it and how it gets used and how you manage it is, is, is crucially important. I, I will say if you're working 70 hours a week, I'm not saying if you work 70 hours in a week, but if you're working 70 hours a week, then there is something wrong because you're not, because you can't actually do good work for 70 hours a week. That's been, I mean, that, 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 that's been proven beyond any credible um, aspect. We get stuck into that, right? Our saw gets dull. We're stuck in quicksand, and so we don't – I can't take a break because, right? But how often do you take that vacation, you take that one week, you take whatever, you get rejuvenated, and you come back, and all of a sudden you get 70 hours of work done in like 15 hours, right? So, so you have those elements. Um, then the last thing that I, I want to say, because I agree with you 100%, we own ourselves, and man, I used to be that all the time, and it took me a long, long time to get this. There are a lot of people that go, yeah, I, I, I'd like that. That sounds really good. And, and I just want to be careful. You know, there are a lot of people in a condition where, where, where they're not working for the people that we're working for. Mm. or where They're not in the situation that, that we're in. And you know what? They would love to take this, but, but, but they're getting paid X 
They've got three kids. They've got a kid going to college. They've got to pay their rent, their mortgage, their this, whatever. We can talk all we want about, you know, it's a great market for marketers or any particular role that's out there. There are a lot of people that are stuck in a place where, where they don't feel like they can control their environment. And, and what I want to say to them is you're totally okay too. And it's okay to be there. Because I just because I agree with you, George, but I want to be careful because I've seen where that message, and I've seen it firsthand. Like it's it's one of the few regrets I've had in my life, creates more distress for them because they're sitting there going, "Wait, there must be something wrong with me because I can't." And and when you you know, like when you take that off, open it up. I, I am here to say there are you know I what I'm excited about is this. What we're talking about here, it's still the minority, but it's growing. It's growing. I tell you, read, read Simon Sinek's book, uh, Infinite Game, The Infinite Game. Like, Forget, start with why. That's nothing compared to what he's talking about with The Infinite Game and, and, and what that means. But, you know, there, there, there's that. It's okay to be insecure. It's okay to be an imposter. As a matter of fact, to be good, you're going to feel like an imposter. We call that the Dunning-Kruger effect. The less you know, the less competence you have, the better you think you are. The better you get, the more you know you don't know. That's why we feel like impossible. Mm -hmm. Right? And by the way, when we're working with what we're natural at, it's not work. So, like, I mean, I, remember, I used to give sales advice. And people were like, oh, my God, that's great. What do I owe you for that? I'm like, huh? I, I just made some shit up. What do you and I was scared to death. Any day, people are going to realize I have no idea what I'm talking about. But then I began to actually learn, no, that's the feeling I'm supposed to have. And I discovered that when I, when I read in a book, how Neil Armstrong was at some event with like top people. And he said to the journalist that he was, that was interviewing and doing a story said, I don't belong here. Right. And, and, you know, if Neil Armstrong is with a group of people and he's the one saying, I don't belong here, then, then by the way, the other thing I've learned too, I love being in groups that I feel like I don't belong. You know why? Because I'm going to learn a whole, whole lot. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and so, and, and again, that's why we've got to have, we've got to have our score. That's my, that's my give that, like, that would be what I would suggest. Create your own score. Define what, what your day is. Define what winning today is for you. Play that, win the day. And, and, and you'll find, you know, things will ultimately take care of themselves. It, it might not happen immediately, but you'll you'll begin to work more and more from a position of strength. Sorry, do you remember when you told me that analogy about who trained the astronauts? Yeah. Yeah, I do. That was like one of the best things you ever did for me. But that's what I'm feeling right now. I mean, here's here's the thing, and, and I love that we had that moment in time. And I agree with you, Doug. I don't really want to ever be the smartest guy in the room. I, I want to have a lot of smart people around me so that I can learn um, each, and, e e each and every day. I know you're a smart dude. You're a smart dude. I'm going to tell you that's that's why I love hanging out with you. Here's here's my fear is that fo people listening to this, I hope, understand that I am I am being passionate about the things that I talked about in my little segment because I have had to take a very difficult journey from where I felt this article was painting people are 
and how businesses are treating them to the fact that let's be honest, I, I sometimes will work 60, 50, never 70 anymore. Uh, and I will give myself the freedom. And here, there's two words that I want people to actually three words. I want people to take with them from this, uh, at least from me, right. Is that a, you have to give yourself the freedom to live life and life and work. It isn't a balance. It is an integration, but freedom. And what that means is if you have to take your son or daughter to work and you're out of the office for an hour, like Julie said, that's fine. But what can't happen is you can't be guilty or feel guilty for that hour that you're taking. You have to realize I have the freedom to take this time and you go and do it because a lot of people let guilt get built up. They don't focus on having the freedom that they they have. And here's the other thing, Doug, you mentioned like, sure, they're in the spot, you know, no pun intended, as I just said that they're in this spot, but like you don't have to be stuck. And there's this relationship with fear that you may have to overcome to get to the next step. Anyway, we have gone way over our time frame. So here is what I'll say. Uh, very succinctly, Max, Doug, Julie, give us your last thoughts on this conversation for people as they head out to their regularly scheduled days. The biggest breakthrough for me was when I realized that I would never feel like what I did today was enough. And so I understood that that was the wrong measurement for me. And it's okay to feel that I would say if every week is a 70 hour week, it's a good time to reflect on why. Um, and if that's how your time should be spent. I'd say focus more on the quality of the work versus the quantity of your work. I guess it's something I'm taking away. And we'll be here waiting for you guys in the next episode.